Greetings in the name of our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This devotional is titled, Confusion About the Day of the Lord. Confusion abounds over the day of the Lord, and it is nothing new. Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians to correct errant thinking about the day of the Lord. The Thessalonians were disturbed over the idea that the day of the Lord had come. In 2 Thessalonians 2.1, Paul speaks in reference to, quote, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, end quote. Clearly, our gathering together to him has the rapture of the church in view. He then says in verse 2, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Uh, New American Standard Translation, 2 Thessalonians 2.2. Note that the King James has the day of Christ in verse 2, but the manuscript evidence is strong that it should read the day of the Lord. What disturbed the Thessalonians was a deception which claimed to have been from Paul that said they were now in the day of the Lord. Paul had previously taught them in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 that they would escape the day of the Lord judgment. Therefore, they were confused by this deceptive communication. Perhaps the present persecution had caused him to wonder about this, which was then fed by the deceptive communication. Whatever the case, Paul is emphatic in saying that it is not true. This message is not from him. And he goes on to say in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Paul here in verse 3 says to let no one deceive them, and then lays out two clear markers that will signal that indeed the day of the Lord has come. He says, For it will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed. Unless these two realities are in place, the day of the Lord has not come. These are two clear markers. The word translated as falling away is the Greek word apostasia. It is found only two times in the New Testament, here in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, and also in Acts 21.21. In Acts 21.21, it is clearly used in the sense of religious defection, with the idea being that of forsaking the truth or apostasy. If this is the nuance in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, then the sense would emphasize defection from the faith. The definite article is used, so it more literally says the apostasy. A very specific and standout apostasy is in view. However, an objection to the idea of religious defection is that the day of the Lord, as seen in 1 Thessalonians 5.2, comes totally unexpected as a thief in the night with no forewarning. Therefore, the other legitimate meaning of apostasia is to be considered, and for me, actually, preferred. This word apostasia can also mean departure, as one would leave from one place to another. In the book, When the Trumpet Sounds, H. Wayne House wrote a chapter titled Apostasia in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Apostasy or rapture? Here is where the debate lies. How should apostasia be understood? The problem is that it can be understood legitimately in two different ways, both which are equally valid depending on the context. In the overview of this chapter, it says, should it refer to religious apostasy or rebellion, as is most commonly understood 
or should it be understood to refer to a physical departure? Either view is possible with the range of the word's meaning. Dr. House then makes the case for apostasia as a reference to the rapture. On page 270, he shows extensively that the earliest English, English versions of the Bible had this understanding. 1384, Wycliffe Bible, Departure First. 1526, Tyndale Bible, Departure First. 1535, Coverdale Bible, Departure First. 1539, Cranner Bible, Departure First. 1576, Breaches Bible, Departing First. 1583, Beza Bible, Departing First. 1608, Geneva Bible, Departing First. Tim LaHaye says the first seven translations of the English Bible translated it Departure. No one knows why the translators of the King James Version rendered it falling away or why others translate it rebellion. A case can be made that all seven of the earliest translations of the English Bible were right in rendering it departure, which would mean a physical departure or rapture. End of quote. My understanding of what Paul is saying is that the departure of the church, which we commonly call the rapture, must take place first as well as the revealing of Antichrist in the signing of the seven-year peace treaty with Israel. These are the prophetic markers that must be in place before the day of the Lord can commence. Until these two things happen, the day of the Lord cannot come. The flow of thought regarding departure in verse 3, I think, corresponds to the removal of the restrainer in verse 7. Paul, in context, is dealing with what must be in place before the day of the Lord can come. The church age is sometimes called the age of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, and he will depart, in a sense, at the rapture, in a kind of reversal of Pentecost. When the church was started, it was marked by a major spirit event, his coming. And when the church is completed, it will also be marked by a major spirit event, his leaving. Lewis Berry Chafer said, The removal of the Spirit is the reversing of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, he who had been omnipresent in relation to the world became resident in the world. And when he is removed, he who is now resident will again, will again be omnipresent in relation to the world. The event of the Spirit's departure coincides with the rapture of the church, just as his coming coincided with the birthday of the church. So his departure, removal, will coincide with the completion of it. The reversal of Acts 2 phenomenon coincides with the departure of 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Well, Paul is dealing in context with what is preventing the day of the Lord from coming into place, in which the Antichrist will be revealed. This Antichrist will exalt himself above all and claim to be God, 2 Thessalonians 2.4. Only what restrains is now keeping him at bay. I take it this restrainer is the Holy Spirit who is doing his restraining work through the church. When this restraining work is removed at the rapture of the church, then Antichrist will immediately come to the fore until the departure of the spirit slash church and the revealing of the Antichrist as seen in the brokered seven-year covenant. The day of the Lord will not come. These two markers must be in place first. Then the day of the Lord will commence. And the implication is that these two realities are very closely related to each other in time. The departure of the Spirit immediately allows the Antichrist to be revealed. So, the rapture of the church comes first, which is then followed by the day of the Lord. Any talk of the church being in the day of the Lord judgment, or that the church will experience the day of the Lord judgment, 
is representative of confusion. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11, Paul says, God did not appoint us to wrath. This coming time of wrath, the day of the Lord's judgment, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, deliverance through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Uh, The means of comfort in this context really relates to the reality of the coming great escape from the day of the Lord's judgment. It's not comforting to say, you know what, we're going to go into the worst time in the history of the world as described by Jesus, and it's unbelievable what the church is going to have to go through in terms of uh, the, the wrath that is going to be poured out in that day. That's not comforting. The comfort comes from knowing we are going to escape. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the truth of the scriptures. We thank you for loving your bride, the church, so much so that you gave uh, your life uh, to save us from our sins. And Lord, you not only saved us from sin, you are going to save us from this time of wrath that is about to come upon the world. That's what characterizes this entire time. Lord, we're not appointed to that. Uh, Jesus took all of our wrath on the cross. And so we thank you that uh, we are not appointed to this, but uh, Lord, uh, help us not to be confused, but to be clear in our understanding that uh, we are looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That comes first. Then comes judgment, uh, the wrath judgment upon the entire world. Lord, again, we thank you for the truth. Uh, May it bless our hearts and comfort us in these trying times. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.